Sophia Gubaidalina, Valerie Coleman, Wojciech Kieler. Even the most seasoned of concertgoers might take a double take at names like these. You might be wondering, who are they? It's possible you've never heard of these composers or heard their music in a concert hall. The question is, why don't we know them? My name is Maddie Hammond. I'm a Perth-based composer, trumpet player, music educator, and above all, music enthusiast. I've had the pleasure of attending the Australian Youth Orchestra's National Music Camp for 2023 as a participant in the Words About Music course. On the topic of new music, I've had the pleasure of speaking with some of the composers and conductors attending National Music Camp to get a better sense of new music's place in Australia's concert scene. I wanted to talk to the veterans of the classical music scene, both in Australia and beyond our bubble, as well as our emerging artists. Why is there a stigma around new music? Is the programming of new music tokenistic? What has been the reception of new music? The challenge is that you're putting music out that is not known by anybody to an audience who are accustomed to always hearing things that they know. That was Anne Course, composition tutor at National Music Camp, talking about the reception of new music in Australia, one of the subjects I'll be exploring in this podcast. You'll also hear the voices of two of her composition students, Philip Cullen and Nick Kyriakakis, and you'll also hear the views of National Music Camp conductors, Umberto Clerici and James Judd. Firstly, I wanted to start by asking conductors from vastly different backgrounds what their attitudes towards programming new music is and whether we're hearing enough new music in mainstream concert programs. To listen to the perspective of Umberto Clerici and James Judd, tune into part one. For the composer's perspective, listen to Anne, Philip and Nick's stories in part two. I'm a composer. I'm based in Adelaide uh, in South Australia and I've been composing for about 23 years I suppose. (laughs) So oh wow yes a long time. I've been composing longer than I have not been composing. (laughs) Congratulations. Oh thank you. (laughs) Long may it continue. We'll see how we go. (laughs) Firstly I just think it's worth talking about how there's potentially a stigma around new music in the Western art context. Where do you think this stigma might come from? I think well, there's, there's lots, of, lots of answers to that question. Mm. I don't know if you could say that one is more prevalent than others. Mm. I, I think for some people they have had a bad experience mm. and by that I mean they maybe they went to a concert and there was something that was new Mm. I mean you know it might be that it was 50 years old but still you know new and they you know didn't enjoy it and so there's a an assumption on their part that oh well you know I enjoy music which has been written by these composers or in this era and I didn't enjoy that piece or those couple of pieces which have been written more recently Mm. so I'm not going to enjoy anything which is being current I think maybe that's a big thing kind of stereotyping them and putting them into one box yes absolutely you know the the assumption that all new music is devoid of melody and 
prettiness and attractive harmony and things like that. Yeah, sadly, that kind of 50s, 60s era kind of did a bit of a disservice, I think. The composers going quite experimental and the real breakdown of tonality where classical, in inverted commas, music becomes so, so unrecognisable from what it had been even just, you know, 50, 70 years earlier. People make the assumption, oh, well, that is what new music is. Do you think that's part of it, just the shock of it being so different to what people are used to? Yes, I think some audience members don't like that. I think some do, mm-hmm. and, and this is the other side. Audiences who seek out new things, who want to be extended orally, mm-hmm. who want to experience new surprising abrasive all these kind of negative <laughs> connotation yeah. words but you know that is what they they love about about music you know whether it's classical music or you know any any other genre I started my musical journey with piano I didn't like it very much so I moved to the guitar and didn't really like that very much so I moved to Buzuki, and I like that, but not a, a whole lot. So by 16, I'd ended up with a bit of a dilemma on my hands, and I wanted to find something that really fit me because I knew I loved music. And so I chose to compose. Do you think that there is a stigma around new music in a Western art context? Uh, definitely. It's evident everywhere. Um, we program our new music at the beginning of concerts so that people people don't walk out halfway through the concert. It's strange because in the art world we have a bit of an opposite thing happening where new contemporary works are part of the environment and people go to galleries to see new painted works. But in music, and in, especially with the classical tradition, um, it seems to be a closed book where we have a set number of works in our canon and we don't really want to add to that, which is very strange. Where do you think this stigma stems from? Ah, well, that's a good question. There's a lot of conservative beliefs um, around music and what music should sound like. Um, and this has been built up over many years of people who want, have certain expectations of what they want to hear when they go into a concert hall. New works that are even, you know, quite well acclaimed within the community and loved by performers such as the Rite of Spring and more contemporary works that are considered part of the canon are still have a stigma around them and we'll find that a lot of audiences are actually looking for things like Beethoven and Mozart in most situations. stigma or whether it's just the idea of the western classical canon and replaying that that canon replaying the same works over again rather than adopting as much new music i mean obviously it's always going to be a bit more challenging given that i mean people are less familiar with the the work um, and and they know the old music because it is played over and over again and so they can perhaps identify with it more easily i think most people are open to the idea of new music but I think the culture around sort of classical music concerts um, in you know in the concert hall is such that 
there doesn't seem to be much of it played as much as I would like as a composer and also just as a as an audience member. I, I really enjoy listening to, to new things. Currently, it seems that concert halls are making a conscious effort to program new works by new composers. Do you view this as tokenism? And do you view this as being a necessary step in the right direction? Or do you consider both of these to be um, an important part of getting new works onto the stage? I certainly, I don't view it as tokenism. Mm. Um, and you know, whether you do or you don't, I would agree that it is necessary. Mm. Um, you know, we have to, well, we have to do lots of things. We, we have to encourage emerging composers to keep at their craft. We have to help them flower and, mm. and grow as composers and nothing, I don't think anything really does that the way that working with performers towards a public outcome. So it's super important. The challenge then, well, one of the challenges <laughs> is that you are putting music that is not known by anybody out into a to an audience who many of whom are perhaps accustomed to always hearing things that they know. And I suppose the other thing is that there's there's not that feeling of safety when you go to the concert hall of knowing that you're going to enjoy that piece. There's always that, what's it going to be like? Have I just spent all this money for no reason? Or yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. It is ask audience members mm. to risk something. Yeah, I I come back to the idea of curiosity a lot. Yeah. Um, I really try as as a composer and a composition mentor and teacher to stay curious yeah. because it's not. I don't think it's my job to like everything. It's not my job as a composer to write in every style. Um, I made a decision quite a few years ago that I was going to write music that I would like to listen to. Thankfully, other people like to listen to that too, but I don't expect everybody to like that. But there has to be an openness and a curiosity of different things. Sometimes we learn a lot by experiencing something which is outside of our comfort zone musically. And we need that from audiences too. We, we, <laughs> you know, all writers of new music, or programmers or performers of new music need audiences to stay open and curious to a name on a program which is unfamiliar. I don't think there's as much to be fearful of as what yeah. some people might think. You know, I am enticed by the things that I don't know, uh, that I want to find out about. You know, and sometimes you might know something. You know, you might know the that composer and another piece of theirs yeah. and you're interested to hear what they've written for this ensemble or you might have read something about about the work that has piqued your interest and you go oh you know that sounds yeah. really fascinating I want to go and see and hear what that sounds like but yes you need to be comfortable in that uncertainty of yeah. what you're going to get and you know it might be the best <laughs> the best piece you've ever heard yeah, or the yeah. or you know something that makes you go wow or it might not mm. but you're never going to find out if you don't give it a try I mean if there isn't then I should probably just hang yeah. on my boots now yeah. and, <laughs> and you know go get a proper job but yes abs absolutely um, it needs to be thoughtfully done I, I do think we need programmers orchestras ensembles festivals whatever it might be need to recognize 
you mentioned before about you know, paying money for a ticket. Unfortunately, it's often quite costly to, to go and experience live, live music. We need to thoughtful and considerate of what we're putting on in what contexts. I don't, and I don't think any composer wants to be shoved in a program. You want to feel like your music is worthy of being there or that you have earned your place. But yes, there needs to be the place. There is always a question that pops into my head whether I'm, by doing what I'm doing, actually making inroads in new music and helping to create an atmosphere that, you know, is eventually going to be able to support artists like myself. Um, You know, I think new music works do at the moment serve this place in the program where they're like a feature and don't really have this integral part in our musical lives Um, but I do think that we are experiencing new music of the classical kind in in much more ways than we think I think that a lot of progressive techniques are suddenly appearing in modern pop recordings we have you know sampling which was invented by uh, a classical composer actually of uh, the 20th century is now a big part of our pop industry and likewise ambient music and you know uh, lots of different kind of meditative, meditative music is becoming quite mainstream. But at the same time, the concert hall seems to be this building that is unable to take anything that seems modern, even though audiences seem to be ready for it and uh, are open to new experiences. So, yeah, it is, it is a bit of a conundrum. Do you see there being value in having new works performed in a concert hall setting or do you think it deserves a new setting altogether? There's an argument for both. I think there needs to be more education in terms of the concert hall setting. I think we need to program works that actually will grow our listeners and not just stretch them to the limit. If we go too radical straight away, of course people are going to tune out. But if we have works that are a bit more of a stepping stone and present new music as an opportunity for something to be enjoyed, then, you know, maybe the more radical works will seem a little bit more tolerable in in years to come. There is a, a great case for pieces to be performed outside the concert hall, and there are lots of wonderful venues that are doing those sort of things. I do feel as though often, I think, I think first of all, it is great that there is an effort. I do feel though, as if sometimes it's more about the gesture of doing it and whether it's done with not, not sincerity, but I don't know, I can't help but feel as though they'll often tack a new piece onto a program that otherwise contains yeah. more, more traditional pieces. And so it's sort of, it feels as though they're ticking a box in a way, but by the same token to have I'm not sure what the solution is because to have a a program of just new works is and also be sort of isolating an audience. Yeah, I'm not sure what the solution to finding a good balance is, but I do think it's a great step that they've recognised the need to program more more living composers, more women, a strong effort. Um, I think in Canberra in particular, I know (laughs) Sydney is not quite so good, I don't Mm -hmm. think, at programming women and non-binary composers as well. But yeah, I I think it's good that there is recognition that we have such a, a rich culture of, of music and... Yeah. Um, and new music as well. And new music, yes. Yeah. Do you think that there is value in having new works performed in the concert hall or do you think it requires a different, a different setting for that to take place? Well, yeah, that's an interesting question, actually. I haven't thought much about that because yeah. I suppose the concert hall itself is very much associated with tradition and, and 
old music. But by the same token, a lot of composers in Australia are composers who have studied that tradition and who have emerged from that tradition. So to remove it from that entirely, I'm not sure whether it's it's needed. But perhaps, yeah, it would be very interesting to rethink the, the role of the concert hall and, and the physical spaces in which music is performed. Currently, standard repertoire continues to dominate concert programs. Do you think that new music deserves more funding? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes, I think it does. It's how, how do you measure it? It's how do you work out who, who gets it? It's a tricky one. I, I'm mm. not really sure what the answer is. I, I, I don't believe the money should just be thrown. It's something, something that I have a bit of an unsettled relationship with is innovation, which of course is one of the often one of the three key buzzwords in any grant application. Everything we do has to be ranked on a scale of how innovative we're being. And it makes me think about how it's one thing to step out and try something different once and to have some level of success with that, measured however you you want to measure your success. But then how do we continue to build on that? Or how do you continue down that same pathway taking what you've learned and growing from that. If at the forefront of your mind is this requirement to always be innovative, which suggests doing all new things. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm interpreting the word wrong, but there certainly seems to be this sense occasionally of where breaking all the moulds and making everything quite very, very different, that they are the sort of things that are worthy of the funding. There's lots of argument, I think, for saying that doing something a second time, making it better, and then doing it again a third time, making it better, assuming that you're starting from a place of not just repeating things from the past, you've got an original idea to start with, that that is actually a really, really good thing to do. And that's the sort of stuff that should be getting reliable funding, you know, things where organisations or ensembles or composers can make plans, try things out, maybe even fail a little bit and know that that's not going to be the death of their career, that they can learn from that. I mean, you learn so much from not doing things very well. (laughs) In short answer is yes, we need more funding, but it it is a really, really tricky, nuanced and and complicated Mm. answer as to where that funding goes. And I find that whole idea that you were talking about, about how do we measure success as well, because if we were just going off current interest in new music, I mean, there'd probably be a smaller group who are interested in it in comparison to going to see the classics at the concert hall. You can't simply go off that in order to get the funding that's required. Absolutely. I um, Just a little story might yeah. be relevant. I ran a small chamber music series late last year called Reclassified, which was born out of my residency. You had the Adelaide Peggy Glanville Hicks residency oh, yeah. here in North Adelaide. It was a lot of work and... We, a team of composers and performers, put on three chamber concerts, trios, all Adelaide written music. Uh, Probably about three quarters of it was brand new. And to be frank, (laughs) no one came. Wow. It's not quite true that we had, we did have a fair few at the third concert, but for the other two concerts, they were, they were very small, very, very small numbers. They were amazing concerts. The music was, like, I was even, surprised like I'd hoped it would be good I was blown away by how amazing they were I knew that the performers would be fantastic and they were 
but the way the pieces came together, it, it felt almost kind of curated, even though it, there was a lot more left to chance than that. The diversity of the pieces, the, the way everything kind of flowed from one thing to the other. And there was one gentleman at the first concert, which was a North Adelaide Baptist Church, so a recital for viola, organ and oboe. And we had a little Q&As after each of the concerts. And he is a man I know who goes to a lot of concerts. And he goes, that was the best bloody concert I've ever been to in my life. <laughs> And he's, yeah. he does tend to be a little bit verbose sometimes, yeah. but it was really, really yeah. good. And like I said, hardly anybody came. But the benefit of yeah. that for me personally far outstripped what I was expecting. Yeah. And then after we finished the series, hearing from the performers and hearing from all of the composers, including the mentor composers who were like, I learned so much from that. Yeah. I know I was there as a teacher, but you know, here's a list of all the, all the things that I took away from that experience. Mm. It was a real bittersweet kind of feeling in a way yeah. because it was a sense of real pride in doing something valuable and something worthwhile. And then a fair bit of questioning over, it would have been really cool to be able to have shared that. Like we wanted to share that with more, with more people, but you know, lack of finance to have a proper marketing team yeah. and busy time in Adelaide and uh, trying to do something new for the first time. You know, there's lots of very good reason I don't want to be critical of the Adelaide concert going public for not coming yeah. it's just a nice little example I think of how you measure success you know this little project of, of mine probably won't look particularly impressive on an OSCO application yeah. for something but it was worthwhile and it was valuable for me it's not even necessarily about funding new music I think just to get different music even if it's even if it is by composers who are no longer living or, or you know even if the music is not so new but perhaps is music that is less performed or less understood I, I don't know I feel as though there is you know a lot of you know a lot of Beethoven a lot of Tchaikovsky whereas I, I feel as though even in even within the the older traditions there are probably a number of works that that would deserve recognition as well. Do you think that concert goers and musicians themselves will continue to favour the classics over the new works? I suspect some will. I, I think the role of education plays a really big part here. If you are learning an instrument and you have aspirations to becoming a professional musician and right through your formative years you are taught that a composer is this type of person <laughs> or you know this is the, this is the music that you should play you know the the standard repertoire you know these are the songs you should sing here is an anthology of works or an exam here an AMEB exam list book and you select your music your breadth of of knowledge of what your art form is comes from the music that you play if it's the same old same old then why would you know any different the performers who I really admire are the ones that go digging for things they don't perform this string quartet because everyone plays mm. this string quartet they find something they uncover something that was unknown to them because they've mm. followed a trail of breadcrumbs from yeah. hearing something <laughs> on the radio from going to another concert from you know going oh I've never heard of that composer yeah. I wonder if they've written anything for for string quartet that 
exploration and openness to to mm. finding new things and then if we can get a lot of influential and very very good people yeah. <laughs> in pe people in pe positions of power so the yeah. the very good performers the very good chamber ensembles mm. the very good programmers and artistic administrators and and all of that who have that aspect of curiosity, of interest, of doing the hard work. I went to recital the other week, a good friend of mine, a soprano, Bethany Hill, and she, amongst her recital, presented what she said is possibly the maybe the second performance, presuming it was performed when it was written, um, second performance of a set of songs by the Australian composer Miri Hill, who is was Alfred Hill's wife. So Alfred Hill has a bit of a name in Australian music history, but Miri, of course, you know, his wife gets overlooked. So she was aware that she had written some songs, but she talked about the digging that she had to do. Mm. And then when she did find the scores of these songs, they were all handwritten. Uh, so she had to then employ somebody to yeah. typeset them so that then she could learn them. Mm. And there's, of course, no recording. Yeah. So it's hard work but rewarding work because she uncovered these absolute gems and has mm. been able to perform them they're now part of her repertoire yeah. more people will hear them hopefully then more people will be able to sing them yeah. so it, it builds on that but you have to have the people doing the work so where are they <laughs> how do we and how do we raise them and you know anyone interested in yeah. musical art to go the the path less traveled and look for which the, the stuff that, you know, my bias again, I, find is, I think is more interesting. There are works that just seem to bridge this gap in, a, in, a, in an interesting way. Um, I know myself and yourself enjoyed listening to Wojciech Kila's Orowa, and we noticed that audiences seem to love that piece, even though it was of the the more it was from a more modern composer it's it's very interesting it's very interesting to think about what that piece did that was able to connect people together that you know um in in ways that mozart and beethoven don't seem to be able to do so so you're saying the composers that can strike the balance between pleasing both both audiences the ones who want to hear the classics and also the ones who are looking for something new is is the sweet spot in a sense it is it, it is in a way i think there's a certain sense of you have to have a certain sense of stylistic independence where you, what you do is just you're doing it to the the very limit and you've explored it to a very high standard that you have integrity as an artist and audiences will respect that straight away it's funny, I was talking about this with um, some orchestral players yesterday and their, their mindset is quite different, I think, to mine as a composer. I feel as though there is a different sort of respect for the repertoire that they have. And I suppose for the concert goer, there is a familiarity with those same roles, whether they identify the roles or not, they, they would understand it without realising and so they probably feel quite attached. Also, as a composer, you don't want to have to write just to please an audience by you know following those same traditions you want to be able to bring new things in and finally what do you think the future of new music in a classical context looks like whether that be in australia or um overseas what do you think that looks like oh, this is a tough <laughs> one i suppose perhaps the more obvious answer is that as technology continues to yeah. develop um we'll see progress or new developments in that side of things because yeah even 25 years ago we wouldn't be able to imagine 
some of the technology that we do have available today. Well, my hope for young people, I think, is that they're, they're not so quick to dismiss it as something that is old. And I guess for perhaps older audiences in terms of the new music, not to dismiss it either, yeah. um, because there, there really is something very special and about music as an art form that you know brings everyone together as much of a sort of cliche as that sounds uh, ooh, another good question um <laughs> i think i think there are some big changes that will happen over the next 10 years i think our sea of gray hair i mean that in the least disparaging way possible um will begin to f- f- inevitably fade unfortunately but i think that that presents a new opportunity for young people to enter into the concert hall and to find a place amongst a long tradition of of concert goers um and i think that new music will have a place in that mix because i think young people are very experientially oriented that could also feed into what we can do with classical music and create something really interesting for that audience i think the the number one thing that we will see is variety i think that new music is not necessarily one thing and that variety whether it be works that pay homage to uh the classics into the mozarts and the beethovens and all the the pieces that came before or works that are completely removed from that tradition um and ambient and improvisational and works that really challenge audiences i think we're going to see a really wide range of styles and i think we'll see something very similar to the artistic world what we're seeing at the moment where there is so much on offer that everyone has something that they can enjoy and i think it will be a really cha- really big challenge to program in the future but at the same time something that can really draw audiences in i think i think we'll we will see something really interesting happen very exciting but at the moment it does feel like composers like myself are just holding out until that point but when when it happens we'll be ready and excited to take the reins i wonder what's going to happen with composition with new composition because there has been like i've noticed such a huge almost exponential kind of growth in terms of the number of composers the number of people young people coming through proudly stating that they are a composer i mean i didn't feel comfortable doing that till i was in my 30s and there's all these young'uns with websites of you know recordings and everything there's a cultural shift there there is absolutely so clearly there is a desire or there's there's something of appeal in being someone who creates new music and maybe they see that it's possible to make a go of it when I was coming through I don't know if it says more about me personally or just about the the era like I don't remember there being any real look at the future or this is aspirational about what you want to become or do in in your life as a composer it was really just keep doing what you're doing and I don't know, see yeah. what see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> but also at that, that time, there were very very few Australian composers, and yeah. certainly not really young ones. I suppose it's always the case that you know, unless you're in the industry, if you ask why, ask more broadly, you know, for any average audience member, you know, name some Australian composers. Mm-hmm. You know, they're probably I don't know. Some might not be able to name any. Yeah. But now there's just 
so many. So I suppose for the future, I wonder, you know, are we, does this mean where there's going to be even more? I wonder if it's going to, if like the generational, if there's going to be a gap, you know, the ones coming through sort of like finishing their study now and mm. starting professional life, you know, are they still going to be composing when they're 20 in, you know, 10, 15, 20 yeah. years time? I do wonder about that because your, your financial needs. Yeah. <laughs> As a young adult, emerging composer is really different from your your needs when you are a fully grown adult. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want want to have a family, yeah, it changes. And composition is a really tricky thing to maintain a a living from. So I'm I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. I suspect there will still be plenty of young up and coming people in the in the mm. industry. And I really do hope that we're playing more music, more new music, more Australian music. Audiences are still coming along that they realise mm. it's not quite as scary as I thought yeah. it might be and that's all okay. But I hope that the generate that there isn't that isn't a gap that those that want to keep doing it are able to keep doing it. Let's hope these sorts of questions continue into the future. Thank you for tuning in.